Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the digital workspace inner workings. My, my screen's back to, to grayscale. I was like, you know, I spent too much time looking at my phone, so that's gone back to grayscale. I've heard of people doing that for your, their phones. Do you do that for your computer too? No. Okay. No, I was no, like, no. that would be it, a first. I haven't heard of that. No, this, I don't think there's much benefit to doing that all the time because, you know, a lot of stuff you do on your computer screen is meant to be in color. Like, you, you know, there's notifications that are not so much notifications, but if you're doing a like a, an Excel spreadsheet with data analysis, you, you need to know what's red and what's green. Yeah, uh, you're doing financials. You don't you don't want to mess around with, with that. <laughs> um, but the point more is that like as much as I use my phone a lot, I use it mostly to read uh, if I'm if I'm killing time, and that doesn't have to be in color. That just has to be readable. Whereas you know, when it's color, then all of a sudden you start seeing notification, not notification, but little badges go red or or something like that, especially if I look at LinkedIn or something. So that's now cut. It's amazing. Like in, in three days, it's cut down my usage 30%. Mm. Just just by changing the colors. And I can still add that. And I've, there's, there's a way on the iPhone at least where you can tap the back. If you double tap it, it changes back to color. So if someone sends me an image to look at, I need to look at in color. I can just double tap, changes the color, look at it in color double tap it back to, to grayscale. So that's really, I really enjoy to do it. Mm. Since you mentioned the iPhone, have you seen the new video campaign that Google put out for the Pixel? They have this, it's pretty clever. They have this, um, they've anthropomorphized the iPhone and the Google Pixel and they have them like having conversations and, you know, Google's uh, yeah. like kind of digging at a lot of, the features that Apple doesn't have and sort of positioning them as like the, you know, the, just the, the phone that's out to pasture a little bit, or like it's a little <laughs> older, not as uh, up to date on some things, uh, you know, photography features and battery life, they poke fun at a lot. And uh, even if you're a devoted iPhone and Apple person, I think it's worth watching the videos because they're pretty funny. No, I haven't, I haven't watched, I don't tend to, um, look at that kind of stuff. I mean, what I, what I, the only time that ever comes up is when someone's on Android and they tell me that I should be on Android and for whatever reason. And usually the conversation is, but I have no problems with, with Apple. Like nothing breaks, really. Touch wood. Um, everything works together. I don't worry about anything. You know, so no reason to change. And I'm in no rush to upgrade my phone either. Like my wife wants to get upgraded. I'm like, but why? Your, your iPhone 13. It's no different to the iPhone 14 except for the battery, really. So what's the, what's the upside? Mm. Yeah, I kind of feel like, yes, in that sense, it's a stable, very incremental improvement, but not, not major improvements. Uh, I don't know if you looked at the AR, VR headset at all since they've put that out. Yeah, the what Apple Vision that? Pro. Mm. Yep, I did. So? And what are your thoughts? I think they did a few interesting things with it. The one that is maybe most notable to me in terms of a difference in their approach is, is honestly the whole um, seeing the eyes 
thing or the the Mm see-through kind of thing. It's sort of like, I don't even know if you would categorize it as AR or VR or if it's mixed or if it can like sort of go between those concepts a little bit. But I think that sort of visually makes it distinctive and puts it in that sort of more um, maybe less of a like I'm enclosed in my, you know, own VR world, which is very, um, I think of mainly like the video game use case for that or like, you know, something exploratory where you can check out a new part of the world or, you know, imaginary space like that, but is more geared towards, you know, a lot of the use cases they showed were work related. So things like basically replacing your computer as a headset, which I thought was an interesting approach that was um, different from the others we've seen so far. Yeah, I'll be honest, that that, that was, well, so it impressed me. I mean, I, I think I think it's going to be an interesting piece of technology, uh, for sure. Without spending three and a half grand on it, probably not. Well, not yet. I could, I could eat those words at some point. But I think the way they're going was interesting. Um, and I think they took... The, the thing that's always bugged me about the sort of AR VR is is that people are trying to split it the whole time. And I know Microsoft trying to do it with mixed reality as their sort of moniker for it. it does, you know, when you start getting into such semantics, I think it doesn't matter. You lose the, the plot. And I think that the the offering looks really cool. I wouldn't buy a first version for sure. I'd probably wait for a second or a third version of it to see what it looks like. But I think it is the way we're going um, in some respects. But I don't think it's as, as important to people as... As, as as people want it to be, you know, I think, you know, there's still people very comfortable with a laptop with a mm-hmm. screen uh, or a desktop with a you know, keyboard mouse on the screen. And, and that's fine. But I think for some people, it will be really, really interesting. I mean, gaming obviously is one real time work that you're doing where having something intelligent helping you to solve that problem, you know, you're a mechanic trying to fix something or electrician or, or something like that. And, and there's an interpretation layer that's looking at the same thing as you and, and noticing things that could help you or give you the, the, the spec or the design that you need to know. I think that'll be valuable, but not at three and a half grand. You know, it, it's got to be down at the 150, 300 mark, I would think. Even a thousand would probably be the, the max um, where, you know, someone can just go and like, like we buy it, like, you know, as I said, even I saw it in Egypt where guys were taking pictures of things to show you that they've done something or show you what they wanted to show you. It's got to be that easy to use. And that and that, that, that barrier has to be that low that anyone can just have it and use it. Yeah, I wonder if they can even actually, you know, if it, it would, I know, I think it's the the Microsoft, is it HoloLens? I think they, at least in the past, have shown examples of how that could be used in something more, you know, manufacturing, industrial. But the thing that is also notable with the Apple Vision Pro is it's not, uh, is the battery life. So it has, um, you know, it has an external battery pack that's like a wire that comes down. So it is portable, but that only lasts, I think, two hours is the max time. So to me, it seemed really like a knowledge worker device, if anything, for work, given that, um, you know, you, you kind of still need to be wired with it, maybe, is one of the limitations of the the earlier model to get that desired battery life. 
But I also, you know, years ago now, we had a conversation and in one in which you brought up like, you know, an AR world where, you know, you're brushing your teeth in the morning, you're still in your pajamas or or whatnot, but you're on a work call as an avatar of yourself. And that would be the future that we would, you know, see in our lifetime. So I feel like to me, when I saw that release, I was like, it's reminding me of that conversation had with Ryan all those years ago. Yeah, and, and, and to be fair, that wasn't my idea. That was, um, she saw the book yesterday, but it was called Shift. It's a book written by a lady here in the UK. Um, I'll find her name again. Um, and I think she's spot on. I think that will happen. But again, it's got to be um, you know, at, at a price point that is attainable. But you can do that to some extent with teams now. Uh, you can have an avatar that is you. I think it's more the immersive experience that will be interesting still, uh, much more like player one sort of movie style where you're in a suit and you've got a helmet and you're you're totally immersed uh, in something. But I still think that use case is just such a narrow thing for what it is. But it could happen. I mean, to be fair, it's, it'll be driven by demand in the end. I mean, if you look at how fast the, the generative stuff is coming, so, you know, TTB obviously is one, but there's so many. And, and the one that I was listening to yesterday, which is the image generation one, what's it called? Midship? Something like that. Um, or Mid Valley or something where they generate images. They've got the ability now that you can zoom out on the image that it's just generated. Now, you think about how difficult that is to do, and that's available already. And, and this has only been, okay, it's on its fifth version, but I mean, that's quick. You know, it feels quick. So those things, like like the AI world merging with the these other things, I think will become the driver for it because that'll just make it a better better experience. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious, how would you have thought of this in you know some of your your IT roles? Like, do you think this is technology that certain sectors will start? experimenting with and sort of eating the cost and seeing what it could do for them? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've, we've experimented for years. I mean, when I was back in South Africa, we did a thing for one of the big breweries where we had, um, we actually created a, there was a, there's a few pubs, bars, restaurants, whatever you want to call them near to the office. And we created 3d environments of those places. And we basically showed them how you could train their reps to go around them and, very much like a first-person shooter, you know, when you when you run around the environment, can you see the, the important things you need to see? Can you pick up the power-ups, all that kind of stuff? And and the training there was around brand placements. So, for example, Castle Lago, which is one of their brands, or one of their competitors, which would be Vintook. I can't remember who owns who now, but I think they might even be owned by them now. But, you know, the, the sales rep would be going in saying, well, we're, we're your biggest sponsor. Um, from a branding point of view, we should be the number one brand that you see when we walk through the door. Why is my competitor there as well? You know, that's the kind of that's the game. So it's what they call um, ah, what did the manager used to call them? Serious games. They, they call them serious games. So so you're using a game engine with all the mechanisms. And we were talking even then, and I'm talking probably 25 years ago now. Sound really old, um, but the idea was you could. You could put it on a console, and if you had an AR VR headset, you could be giving them a that immersive experience where not only are they looking at uh, visually what's in front of them, but they can also hear things. So 
imagine walking into a restaurant or a pub that's really busy, so Friday afternoon at three o'clock. Uh, I think about the Baron in Santon, which is the one that we did the thing around. That place is packed at three o'clock. So now you are, you're a sales rep walking through and you're listening to what the consumers are talking about, which goes back into your marketing engine and all that. So you could use the whole thing as a way to capture information, to train people, what to listen for, what to look for. And then if you now take it forward from the simulation world, we were training and teaching, to now they're walking out with their headset from ex-manufacturer and they walk into that place and that's got AI that's now looking around. You sent me the link on the facial recognition thing, mm-hmm. but we'll talk about this separately. But just imagine you're walking in, and they are, so you, you know you could have just even even sort of James Bond days had a camera on the on the on the the glasses recording as you go in, and someone would go through it manually. But you could, in theory, have the AI using five G connectivity going in. It's scanning. It's it's recording these things. It's noticing the deficiencies, and without the rep having to necessarily go in create an issue with the manager or whatever it is, the report's been generated in the background by the AI. It's gone through a workflow. It's been approved. It's an official document that's sent to that venue saying, you know, we were there whatever time, whatever day. This was the, this was the agent that was there. This is what we saw. You know, here's the evidence. Please make reparations or, 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 or it's all good. You know, fantastic. Great. Thing. I, I mean, that would be the benefits of the data being consolidated, the, the benefits of the AI, the benefits of the, of the headset, all tied together in a value chain. Where it could be a problem is the facial recognition thing, for example, because now you're going down a route of, and, and the article you sent me was around uh, something in the UK here where they were doing uh, facial recognition for penny theft. You could also be profiling your customers by getting to know them using facial recognition. And you know, I'm pretty sure if you go to certain casinos, that's already happened. Not only to keep people out who are gambling, but also to keep people in that um, it's beneficial to keep them in. Mm. Uh, and there's all you know, all sorts of privacy considerations and laws. And uh, you know, my suspicion is that, and I think there's 11 states in the, 11 states in America that are doing it now. Illinois was one of the first where they're banning facial recognition. So I think that's what's going to be the the predominant state. For most countries and they'll ban it and it'll come out as more than an emergency emergency thing where they're trying to find someone or some you know terrorist or whatever or kid a missing kid yeah so there's this you know everything we, every piece of technology comes out's got a pro and a con it's just mm-hmm. really you know who wields the power yeah i thought that article was was interesting i was surprised to see it being so popular across Britain, and I didn't know part of it was maybe Britain having like more of a camera network, so it being more of a like infrastructure thing as well. But yeah, it does raise a lot of you have to talk about the the ethical concerns of it, and what if it's not recognizing the right people? So the way that this one works, once there's a, a theft at the store, um, and they have this example of a security officer going reviewing the footage on like an old computer and then marking who those people were in the recording so that next time they come into the store he'll get an alert that you know those same people have come back Um, and then anyone actually in the network of stores that are using the same technology would then have them added to their database that if they came to another store they would you know get some sort of alert um, and there's actually, I thought this was interesting. There's still a human sort of checkpoint, it seems. So once a person's face is recognized, 
they, you know, the company that does this say they have like expert face analyzers. Basically, it sounds like they had to take some tests to prove they could like match pictures of people. Um, so there mm-hmm. is some some check to to have a human in there, but it's obviously not going to be a hundred percent infallible system. Um, and we know there's like racial bias and other things that have come up in the past with facial recognition technology not being, you know, as good across the board there. So, but yeah, fascinating stuff. I'm curious, have you seen, have you, exper- have you seen this anywhere? Cause it sounds like they have to post signage that they use it. And it was in like 300 stores, I think so far. Um, you know, to be honest with you, if it's, if it's there, I haven't even noticed it. So, so you, I mean, London is, is known to have lots of cameras everywhere. Um, and it's been like that for years, I dare say probably a decade or so. And that doesn't, and that doesn't really bug me or bother me. Uh, in fact, my expectation is you should have cameras up. And and it's not, again, it comes back to the power. I'm not, you know, as long as it's being used for the right purposes, you know, my safety, my family's safety, et cetera, I'm okay with that. And, and we're not talking about that. I mean, you know, laws that are adjusted and all that kind of stuff. We are have objections as if someone's using it as I say, to for nefarious purposes. And and we had a we had a case many years ago, it was actually on a school tour actually, where a guy flew with us somewhere and um, they wouldn't let him into the country because he looked like a terrorist. And if you put the picture of a terrorist and the picture of him next to each other, they actually looked very similar. Um, and and you know, similar name as well. And that was kind of a problem. And and I guess how those situations are handled is the key because that's that's really going to lead you down the right or wrong path uh, but i wouldn't mind um in fact you know we had we had those um whole foods i think it was or amazon stores where you could just walk around pick up your stuff yeah. and then walk out and, and it automatically charged you um you know uh, in principle that sounds like a, a decent idea again do we need it necessarily i mean maybe the cool ideas but actually not really beneficial they're just cool ideas i don't know I saw someone in the the comments of their article reference those Amazon uh, to go stores or kind of pop ups, whatever they had uh, branded them as. But the interesting thing about that is you you pay up front base. You know you have to provide a payment method mm. to get inside. So that's sort of a uh, anti theft by design, if you will, I guess, because you're you, anything you pick up in that store is in theory, automatically charged, charged to you yeah, if you and, walk out with it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that, and that's fine. Uh, it's the same as when I go put in fuel now, you know, if I, if I have my app, which I use shell and I want to go fill up, I can use my app and, and I'll preload 150 bucks, whatever it is. And then when I've done my, my fill up, it'll just, it'll just credit me back whatever was left over. Um, and it's convenient. That's that, that to me is great because I, you know, it's, it's South Africa. Someone else puts the fuel in for me. I just pay them. Like they come to with a credit card machine, I just pay them and I leave. In the UK, and I'm sure it's the same in the states, you got to pump your own gas. So, or yeah, and then you have to go pay inside. And I find that really, really irritating unless you have to go inside because one, you now have to walk inside past all the stuff they want to sell you to go pay or pay for fuel. Two, because you're, that's happening, you are now holding a spot that somebody else can't put fuel in. Because most most uh, petrol stations here don't have a spot for you to go and park the car after you put fuel in, so you you got to leave your car. So you're now slowing down that process. 
Um, and if you do have a spot to go park, you've now got to drive your car, get out, go pay, come back in. You know, it's just a whole palaver. So having the app, whatever, and, and you know, in that sense, facial recognition, biometrics will make a lot of sense. Same as, as entry to your own house. You know, if you're walking in, I mean, this is kind of where I, I like the Amazon products or the Ring products. You, know, you could walk mm-hmm. in, it could recognize me, it could unlock the doors, I could get inside. I don't have to worry about who's got keys to my house because I have facial recognition. I can say they're welcome to come in, let them in. Uh, and you can have approval process. So I see, I can see benefits to having these things. Um, you know, we change our locks on a regular basis. And I say regular, probably more often than most people, probably two years, 18 months, something like that. Just because sometimes we've had people in the house, we don't know if they've taken a you know, if the, if the key's gone missing, if, if it was them or not. And, I'm, you know, most of these people are people we know, but you just never know. Uh, and then also, like, over time, sometimes you trust people and you give them a key for their house. And then you don't know who's you don't know who's been in their house and what they've done with the keys. So you don't know if your key's been taken, copied, or whatever it is. So we just change, you know, it's it's a it's a cost, but it's a cost that I'm ha- it's the same as I have my credit cards every year, because you just don't know who's got copies of your number to go and phone and use. So you just have to do things. So to have a biometric or something like that that further secures it does make sense to some extent. Yeah, we've seen, you know, biometric security is something we've gotten, I would say, extremely used to when it comes to our phones, mainly. And, you know, some people use it for their, you can have a laptop with it as well. So, well, yeah, it's just sort of where mm-hmm. you draw the lines. So it's funny, you know, um, just to finish off. So I, I really love that when I come and sit down on my Apple products, my my phone, my watch opens my devices for me. So I don't have to type my password every time just opens and then sometimes when it asks me to do, authenticate something i can use my fingerprint on the keyboard or i can just double tap my watch now in in most cases that's perfectly fine but in the situation the, the exact thing that people should be wary of and we, and we probably will do it anyway is your banking apps will use facial recognition to unlock it for you you should not allow that or you should have like the triple tap option which i have on my phone if I triple tap on my phone, it turns off biometric authentication. So the only way to get into my phone is to type a password. Because if you're in a situation where they want to get in your phone and you've got biometric enabled, all they have to do is point the phone at you. Mm-hmm. So you know, those are the things that you've got to you know, think about, especially if you travel. Because you go to some countries that, that, that you know they can do different things, especially if you don't know the rules and whatever it is. Now, the, the thing I was going to say to you, I've lost my train of thought, but, but that was like the crux of it is, is biometric is great but you have to put some some additional thought into it yeah absolutely cool righty thanks Heather. i gotta go good to catch up Speak yeah next week sounds good see you then thank you for listening to today's episode heather bicknell is our producer and editor thank you heather for your hard work on this episode Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.